0: Whether you're starting a game or starting your day, you need to pick a starting lineup, and you're gonna want the starter from Jack Black. Loaded with the superior skincare the pros love, Kings fans can get the starter for just $10, shipping included. Available exclusively at getjackblack.com with the code TEAMJB. the starter has four of Jack Black's best-selling skincare and shave products, plus a full-size intense therapy lip balm, SPF 25 in natural mint. Here's to the winning combination for 2022 the LA Kings, and the starter from Jack Black. $10 plus free shipping, available at getjackblack.com with the code TEAMJB, while supplies last.
1: You're listening to an LA Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit lakings.com slash podcast. Here's a takeaway for Trevor Moore. Into the zone, Moore drives to the net, backhand shot,
0: turn away, you're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the LA Kings. More down the right wing on his back and shot
1: tip. to right rebound, score.
0: Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans. I am Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men. The other Kings are on a roll and in second place in the Pacific Division, which is just an absurd statement, and yet it is a true statement. Even if you wanted to be a buzzkill and say, but Jesse, what about the points percentages? Well, the Kings are second in the Pacific if you rank by that metric anyway. So there, all you buzzkills. I said it on Twitter during the Pittsburgh game. I said it in the postgame podcast after the Pittsburgh game, and I'm becoming more convinced of it every game they play. This team is good and a lot of fun to watch, frankly, and I think more importantly. Um, we hope this podcast is fun to hear because this week we're crowning another King of the Week. We're joined by California native and Olympic hockey gold medalist Kayla Barnes, and we'll track some more numbers with Route.com. So, let's begin. All right, it is time again to name a king of the week, and we're going the opposite end of the spectrum from King's Realm this week. We had uh, the King's Realm fellows on uh, this week, a, a very different show than the King's Realm. The Bannerman guys are here. Vardy and Caro, how are you guys doing?
1: Hey, man hey jesse we are great it's a good time uh, to be a king's fan
0: yeah now i've i've already gotten a little bit of feedback from people who tuned into the king's realm podcast based on their appearance last week and not the most sterling reviews apologies to anybody who tuned in and it wasn't for your liking as i said uh the bannerman are a very different show you guys do uh deep deep dives on uh, a lot of king's history um i think you're you're you know the game. I really like and I really like listening to you guys. Um, I've told both of you independently that your show is probably the one that I scream at my phone the least uh, when I'm listening to. So I appreciate Sterling you. Sterling reviews.
1: <laughs> depends, uh, on the, depends on the week, right, Jesse?
0: Well, I can't remember the last time I yelled at you guys. Um, usually I'm just texting you um, things that I can't say to anybody else. Um, <laughs> so I appreciate you, the role you play in that regard as well. So we're going to name a king of the week, like I said, again, the Bannerman podcast. Um, for anybody looking for another Kings podcast to throw up on your uh, on your playlist I'm going to start off with uh, honorable mention and I'm going to go ahead and mention Quentin Byfield we we had sort of started a a trend earlier in the season of making the honorable mention uh, somebody from the rain or somebody from the prospect pool and Quentin Byfield got off to a rough start this year he got injured in training camp then he missed a ton of games he came up or finally got activated, I should say, started for the rain, didn't score in, I, I don't know, his first handful of games, I think, one six first five games, excuse me, no points. And then in his last five games, he's got six points, and four of them came in the last three games. And as I was saying on one of the message boards, the thing that has really begun to impress me about Quentin Byfield, the thing that's really gotten me excited, is that all of his points, not just the goals, but the assists too, they're all coming in different ways right? He's not just beating no. guys with size. He's not just beating guys with speed. He's scoring down low. He's scoring because of his wingspan, he's scoring because of his soft hands. He's getting passes, you know, across the goal mouth in a scrum scrum. He's getting, he's just, he's proving that he can do it all. And the, the points are coming in bunches and I'm, I'm getting really excited to see him in the Kings jersey. So that is my honorable mention uh Vardy will go to you next who is your honorable mention in a week in which the Kings went three and zero?
2: um I like that pick I'm gonna I'm gonna throw that out there first I think the Byfield one's a, a solid pick and I think it's hilarious we talked about this on our last episode that it's 2022 now and Quentin Byfield has yet to play a game in an LA <laughs> Kings sweater but yeah. given the role that they're on right now I I really don't know when that's going to happen but certainly looking forward to that um I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of go along a little bit with that theme and I'm gonna give my honorable mention to uh, Sean Dersey, actually. I think, um, the circumstances in which he came in and joined the Kings roster this season, you know, we were down, uh, who knows how many defensemen and he finally came in, um, we lamented the loss of Cale Clegg for nothing in particular, <laughs> and uh, that, that's no knock against Jersey, but I think he's, he's always been kind of heralded as an offensive-minded defenseman, and you kept wondering, well, where does he fit in? Where is he going to play? And it just turns out that the right opportunity, and he takes advantage of it, and I thought you know, uh, a terrific game um, with, uh, was it a goal and two assists, three points in one game, and now he's up to almost uh, half a point a game pace which I think is just such a great thing to see from one of our younger defensemen who I don't even know if you really looked at the depth chart, like where he would really rank in terms of our defensive prospects. So for him to come in, fill that role under weird circumstances, and now quite frankly, I, don't, I can't see him outside of this lineup going forward.
0: Th- that's the craziest part, right? I mean, I think I looked it up last night. I think he's played 20 games. Yeah. And yeah, now people are making projections. I see all sorts of conversations on, all right, well, what does the right side of the defense look like? Well, we've got to trade Roy and Walker because Dursey Clark favors Spence. I'm like, all right, calm down. It's 20Ks, looks great. Don't get me wrong. Um, uh, I mean,
2: those are the same circumstances that Walker came in, right? Like Walker and Roy, those guys came in when we really had no other options and all of a sudden they're lineup stables, right? So who's to say? Carl,
0: your uh, honorable mention.
1: Yeah, I'm going with... Cal Peterson as Mm. my honorable mention and anyone who's been listening to us knows what a big proponent we have been of Cal Peterson playing more sometimes I feel like this season he got a bit of a rough deal I think a part of that is because Jonathan Quick was so lights out for so many games and it felt at times that Cal just couldn't get the crease back and I'm just so happy that the last three games he's played in all three wins um, allowing two goals in his last three and I think the best part of all of it was after Quick goes lights out against Pittsburgh, Pick, I mean, Quickie was great that game, they go back to Cal against Seattle, and that was such a relief for me because let's face it here, uh, Cal Peterson's contract, $5 million a year, is kicking in next year. He's 27 years old, and he's played 68 NHL games. Jonathan Quick at 27 have played almost 300. Yeah. So if this is the guy, which I believe he is in the future, it's nice to see some more trust being put in him. And even nicer is that he's stepping up to the challenge. So I'm going to go with Cal. We love Cal. We're on team Cal. Um, can't wait for the Jonathan Quick statue, but I'm looking forward to more games for Cal Peterson.
0: Yeah. And I, I was actually going to have him as my runner up. And I want to make it clear. The only reason he wasn't king of the week last week or this week is because that Detroit game happened in the previous week. Right? Yes. Right. right. So right. it's. You know, I suppose I could bend the rules and, shut <laughs> and out, yeah. ignore it, so but, shut but whatever. Uh, yeah, but, but uh, you know, that, that is why he didn't wind up getting it. Um, but because he was going to be my, uh, my runner-up, Carl, I'm going to ask you for your runner-up. We'll go in reverse order on this one, like a snake
1: draft. No problem. Um, so my runner-up is actually Phil Deneau. And it's an interesting one for me because, I, you know, listening to you guys last week, King, King's Realm mentioned that some people were up in arms about the Deneau signing. Uh, we were not up in arms about the Dano signing, but... Like we half al- in arms. We were sharpening <laughs> we also, arms. We also weren't doing backflips and celebrating... We were making
2: torches, but we didn't light them. We shall certainly
1: we say. questioned the signing heavily. And we have no problem admitting when we were wrong. Um, I think our perspective was that it, to us, it was clear that the Kings needed more offense. And kind of the pitch on Dano was, oh, you know, this will free up Kopitar a lot to score. That was one of the pitches on... Denno, one of the sales pitches on him. What's happened, I think, is is kind of the opposite. Where no has opened up a little bit now, and I had huge reservations about his offense kind of flourishing. And I'm not saying he's there. I'm not saying we're looking at a 70 point guy, but certainly, I can say I was wrong that he does have a little bit more offense to his game than than what has been shown in his in his career, specifically in Montreal, where he he kind of put himself on the map in the playoffs. Um And even though it's not as consistent as we would like, I'm seeing now that he could definitely pitch in with the right line mates. And that second line is humming right now. So I'm going to give him his flowers. That's what I'm going to do. I'm Phil Deneau. Here are your flowers. Smell them. We were a little mistaken on you. So uh, we'll eat that crow because our eat crow per 60, league leading as always.
0: One of the things uh, that I started looking into this week, and we're going to do a full segment on it a little bit later in the show, but the only consistent thing this year has been the centers. Kobatar, Deneau, bizarrely enough, Kupari and Lazat. Those are the centers. And the wingers have just sort of rotated around them. And obviously the defense has been crazy. Um, But yeah, Deneau to me has been the MVP of the season. Partially because his spot on that second line, or the nice line, as everybody should be calling it from now on, <laughs> or as long as more is on As long as they can yeah. do arithmetic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: Very basic math. Yeah, but, but
0: I think all of it happens because Dino is who he is. And so, you know, the fact that he's on pace to have a career high in goals is nice, again. But, <sighs> um, but more important to me is the fact that every winger who goes and plays with him plays well. And it, it doesn't it's matter true. who it
2: is. But on that note, isn't it nice that we finally, <laughs> nice, it is nice. <laughs> isn't it, it nice is that we grand. finally have like, I, I know what our lines are every night. I know what our lines are. That's so First important. line, second line. I mean, we, we've been struggling with that combination all season. And finally now it's, there's no question. You're at the point where you're able to give nicknames to a line. That's, that's how you know that we're, things are kind of gelling together. Finally.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's starting to come together. Like I said, we're going to do a whole conversation on that third line later. Uh, Vardy, how about you, runner
2: up? Um, I was going to say Cal as well, but I'm going to change it up. I'm going to give credit to Kopi actually this week. I think I think he has been in some sort of goal scoring slump. I mean, he's still going to get his 2025 for the season, no doubt. But he had one goal in 22 games, I think, leading up to uh, the Pittsburgh game and. Broke open with two goals and an assist, which I think was a huge monkey off his back. Uh, we're going to need him down the stretch. We're going to need him to be the Andrei Kopitar that we know and love. Uh, as nice as it is to get contributions up and down the lineup, so uh, I think I think he's well deserving of a runner-up nod. Truthfully, there's just been so many guys contributing this week that you, you really can't go wrong.
0: Yeah, um, that was gonna <laughs> that was gonna be my pick after. Yeah, Alan, after (laughs) dinner.
2: Now you got to
1: pick someone else. Yeah, hey. Sorry, man. Uh, That's that's what we do. We ruin things.
0: So I can go one of two ways. I'll let you guys choose. Uh, Do you want to hear my argument for Kempe or for Mikey
2: Anderson? I think I understand the Mikey Anderson one because that one I kind of looked
1: into. But I think the Kempe is also kind of easy i want to i want to see really all
0: right you want, like some, you some want to see all right, like, yeah. all right on the, like spot. on the spot here i'm going to throw i'm throwing up the roster i'm looking real briefly all right i'm going to go with you ready for this i'm going to go completely off the board um i'm going to go with oli mata
1: oh my oh. <laughs>
0: And uh, and I'll tell you why. I'm gonna lean back for this one. I am
1: flabbergasted. All right, here we go.
0: Keep in (laughs) mind that you've taken away all my all of the first picks. Um, But all right, hold on. Let me pull up. I follow uh, would have been a good choice. Yeah. No. Look. Every look. They're they're playing great. So they are. Any name, you know, you should be. But I was looking at uh, defensive numbers last night. Defensive pairs. Hold on while I pull up some numbers so I can actually verify that what I was thinking was actually right. Matt Roy and Olimata are presently the King's like most consistent quote unquote shutdown defensive pair. Um, and a lot of that has to do with Matt Roy. The reason I'm picking Olimata is because the um, the the how do I want to say this politely? The nasty, nasty things I this? have seen people say <laughs> about Olimata, I think uh, got a little bit out of hand. Um, and I think that a guy who is uh is playing, you know, a ton of minutes in a position that he wasn't necessarily brought in to play. He wasn't necessarily expected to play. And he's come in and he has given, you know, you talk about the benefit of having um lines that you can rely on in a season where Sean Walker, Drew Dowdy, Alex Edler. You know, have all been gone. Kale Clegg was lost, right? Like the the blue line is not what we expected. Sean Dersey has played twenty games. A guy that that when the season began, somebody asked me if I thought he ever had a shot at being called up this season, and I, without even thinking, just said no. And it wasn't any disrespect to him. I just thought, well, the seven guys that are going to start the season—Clegg, Strand, Willannon, you know, like I just thought by the time they get to dirt, like it just won't happen. Um, mm-hmm. Having said all that, I'm talking about Olimata. Sorry. <laughs> having said all that to come in and pair with Matt Roy and create an effective defensive pair that I don't think anybody ever would have expected or ever would have thought of in a period where the Kings are playing, you know, they're beating some of the best teams in the league who are on some incredible runs and only has not only looked competent, I think he's looked really good. And so to see him have that rebound and to see him play that role, um, for me, I think deserves recognition. Um, after you say that, I can't do Peterson Kopitar <laughs> to know campaign <laughs> Mikey Anderson, or anything like that. Um, but I mean, honestly, they're they're really. At, this week, there's one guy and everybody else, and yeah. the, the three of us have been sort of dancing around it. I threw it out there on Twitter before the Seattle game. You know, who, after the Pittsburgh game, who should be the king of the week, and everybody. Um, I like to say that when everybody agrees on something, it's usually wrong. This is one of those rare occasions where it's it's obviously correct, and that is that the king of the week is Trevor Moore. Um, I've been talking for a while, so, Carol, I'm going to let you go ahead and say some nice things about Trevor Moore.
1: Yeah, I mean, one thing I don't think anyone doubts about Trevor Moore or has doubted is his work ethic and his that he cares, right? He cares about winning. Every shift he's in there, he's doing things. Now you're seeing the numbers kind of support that which is always a great thing i mean there's been so many times this season where and you can say this about a lot of players it's like yeah he's not on the score sheet but you know he's doing all these things that don't show up on the score sheet and that kind of gets old sometimes right like sometimes that argument with kopi sometimes you're like yeah but i wish he would just you know start showing up trevor moore i think what is that 11 points in this stretch in the last seven games that he's had earning it all the way and and I think he's been a big part of of these lines that i've already mentioned kind of falling into place and you see what happens right when your top uh top two lines are producing at the same time i feel like it's the same this is the first time this has happened where you get simultaneous productions from your top six and if there's one player i think up and down where very few people have complained about this season it's trevor moore and you know, Coming out of the World Championships, I think we were expecting big things offensively for him, and now it's finally coming. The, what you worry about is, are the chances there? And I think the chances have been there, and everything else is just a matter of time, and the time has come. So i I completely on board with Trevor Moore being the king of the week. It wasn't much of a contest in my mind.
2: Brian? Damn, that's good. I, I don't know if I can follow oh. <laughs> Did you know he's from Thousand Oaks Anyone? No, I don't think yeah. anyone talks about this very much. No, I, I, it's just nice to see, man. That's honestly like he's – the the advanced stats have been there the entire season. The work ethic has definitely been there. Um, it, in some ways, it's really funny to me because I like watching him and Arvidsson kind of play off of each other because they look so similar. Just, you know, hard nose constantly going 100 miles an hour, nonstop working, and it just – it works. It works real well, and it's it's nice to see him – Truthfully, probably being a lot better than anyone thought he was going to be when we first acquired him in a trade. You know, I don't, I don't think anyone ever had him pegged as a second line winger.
0: No, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't think so. And there was a quote from Todd McClellan recently. We have some responsibility for his lack of production, the coaching staff, because we played him everywhere. He was a center. He was a left wing. He was a right wing. He was on the top line. He was on the fourth line. He's found a home there now um, on that. To an no O-line, and he's feeling comfortable there. They complement each other well, and he's got some confidence. Rewarded him with some power play time on that second unit, so he feels even better about himself. I don't know if he would tell you that, but I'm going to. I think finding a home on a line has been good for him. Um, jumping around all over the place is never good for anybody, but he was uh, the one guy we trusted to do that. There are a ton of guys in this league who do things that never grab your eye that are simply not going to pull your attention away from the rest of the game. But at the end of the night, when your team has a hard fought, you know, two to one win over a crummy expansion team, or, (laughs) or or I'm blanking on the final score of the Pittsburgh game, a six, two win over a powerhouse on a hot streak. Oftentimes it's, it's those things that, that contribute to it. And Trevor Moore's game from the moment he got here is chock full of those little things that you don't see. And, and one of the reasons I really like Arvidsson just to pat myself on the back a little <laughs> here. One of the reasons I really like, one of the things I really like about Victor Arvidsson, one of the things we were just talking about Philippe Deneau is that those guys both have games that make their linemates better. You know, another word that McClellan tossed around a lot last year was, um, uh, uh, you know, contagiousness or, or, or yeah, is that the word I'm looking for? Yeah um very timely
1: (laughs) well unfortunate
0: um but you know like that kind of play rubs off on other players and there's been a lot of talk about identity and all that and i said last week or it was on the pregame show i don't know i talk too much now um but one of the things i said was to me the identity of this team isn't about structure or you know the one three one or an aggressive four check or any of those things it's about commitment and buy-in and belief and all those goofy intangibles and I I think I was saying on the pregame show every night you're seeing some guy dive on his belly to keep a puck in the zone or to keep the puck off an opponent's stick or to keep a play alive to make sure that the play is moving and that's Trevor Moore right like that it's that's the sort of thing he does Um, and it's really nice to see him rewarded for it and I know this is king of the week but since November 28th Trevor Moore is leading the LA Kings in scoring (laughs) four goals, 12 assists and a a plus seven. Um, And uh, I just think it's really, really nice for him. Um, So congratulations, Trevor Moore, this week's King of the Week. All right, so Carol Vardy, uh, Carol, we'll start with you. Any uh, final thoughts before we let you go? Anywhere, guys, uh, people can find you guys on uh, social media, on you know wherever fine podcasts are curated, et cetera.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think at this point we're everywhere that you can find a podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can uh, follow us on Twitter, of course, at the Bannerman Pod. Um, we love the interaction. We, you know, I think that's part of this this process. I think we've been doing this podcast for four years now. And you know we started just because we want to talk hockey with our friend, right? Like that's 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 mainly the reason we started. But the Twitter part of it, the Twitter aspect of it, the interaction, the back and forth, I think we've enjoyed just as much, if not more, than actually sitting down and recording, which has been difficult lately. So bear with us, guys. I know sometimes we take these gaps. But the good news is you can listen to Jesse's podcast in between, and he does some great work, so you, you can fill in those blanks for us all the time. So, yeah, keep it coming, guys. Please on Twitter, subscribe to us, leave us a review, good or bad. That's that's what's going to make us better.
2: Marty, any final thoughts? Uh, no, I, I I'm I, right. echo my all right, okay. <laughs> no, we'll respond to almost anything on Twitter. Like we're not we're not ones to ignore you know even if it's a comment that we don't necessarily agree with we try to be respectful we try to keep the conversation going because i think everyone has their perspective on the team and that i think discussion only makes the perspective better and provides more clarity so we'll you know we like to keep that going
0: well i agree with all that and i want to thank you guys for doing what you do um you are a beacon of sanity for me and i appreciate your patience in uh, some of my angrier tweets that have no context frequently and my final thought is as we were doing this i just got an email uh from the king's public relations team martin Firks has been reassigned to ontario and adrian kempe has entered nhl's COVID 19 protocol Oof. so
1: Oof. <laughs> jesse coming with the good news, that kind of of news <laughs> so no like plate. i said
0: anybody if you're looking for yet another king's podcast to add to your playlist go ahead and check out the bannerman Vardy Cara. thank you very much for joining me thanks
2: for having us
1: man our pleasure always jesse
0: Oh. Pinned in the corner, kept alive by Barnes Out for Hartnett, centering, North cross for Barnes Eagles win in overtime Joining me now, defenseman for Team USA, Kayla Barnes How are you doing today, Kayla?
3: I'm great, how are you?
0: I'm good um, I'm going to start out with a question that I probably shouldn't ask They always say don't ask a question you don't know the answer to um, you grew up in Eastvale, California. You played for the, the Junior Kings, the Junior Ducks, and the Lady Ducks. So I have to ask you, if the Kings and the Ducks met in the Western Conference Final, who are you rooting for?
3: Um, honestly, I'm going to have to say the Ducks. I'm all sorry. Right. That's
0: all right. I appreciate your honesty. That's all right. But,
3: but I mean... Whatever team made it out, then I would root for them.
0: All right. Well, we'll accept that. We'll accept that <laughs> answer. <laughs> um, now, I was uh, listening to a couple interviews with you, reading a couple interviews, and uh, you said that you started as a figure skater um, and that you had four older brothers. So how old were you when that transition from figure skating to hockey skating started to happen?
3: Um, probably like three or four.
0: Oh, wow. Heard, okay.
3: Yeah, I was really young. I was on skates basically right after I could walk. Um just all my brothers were doing it. So my parents kind of just tagged me along to the rink um, with them. So I kind of hopped on skates around two right after, you know, I I could walk and then um, eventually switched over about a year or two later.
0: Now, how old are these four older brothers? Like what's the age spread on four older brothers?
3: Uh, the the age gap between me and the oldest is 13 years. Oh, wow. Okay. So, um, yeah, so one's – I would say so. Birth years. So I'm a '99, and then it goes '97, '93,
0: '89, '86. All right. Well, I'm glad at least there's a nine in the uh, in the first digit of that. <laughs> I'm, starting yes. feel, I'm starting to feel starting feel really old. The younger these kids keep coming <laughs> in. Um, so with a 13 year age spread between you and the oldest, um, I, I'm curious about the dynamic, the competitive dynamic between five siblings like that. Was there a push to be better than all of them did you know the older one team up with you protect you Was the you know did one of the middle like what's how does that uh competitive balance sort of shake out
3: oh no they were not nice to me at all <laughs> <laughs> they all teamed up against me and made fun of me and um you know called me the worst hockey player ever and why would we ever go watch you play and oh wow nice, you know like that's
0: not nice <laughs>
3: no, they weren't very nice to me, but, um, that was kind of the dynamic, but I wanted to be just like them. Like I wanted to do what my brothers did. I like, I went to all their games. I loved it. I literally was a rink rat. Um, but I mean, it's funny come around now. They're my biggest fans. Um, they are always there supporting me, watching my games. Um, you know, they, they are my biggest hype people now. So kind of funny how the roles change over time.
0: You uh, traveled to the East Coast uh, in high school to go to a um, a better environment for for developing your game. Um, there's a pretty clear pipeline. Um, if you're born in Canada, if you're born in you know Minnesota, if you're born in Massachusetts, whatever it is, the the, the lines of progress are pretty clear. I think for for young players. When did you? get a sense that this was something that that needed to happen for your game how did your family come to that conclusion and how important was it for the development of
3: your game yeah I mean I think I grew up playing boys hockey in California um, because that's kind of what was available to me at the time and I knew that you know I'm 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 pretty small I'm 5'2 you know I couldn't play boys forever the boys were getting so big they were all hitting puberty and this and that and um, I knew that I needed to transition at some point um, and it was kind of just a matter of what was best going to help me get exposure for college, get better, um, you know, kind of every day. And then also I really wanted like a normal, just like a normal high school experience. Um, I wanted to be able to play. I had played soccer growing up um, my whole, my whole life up through uh, high school. So I wanted to play soccer. I wanted to be able to do things like go to prom and like not be traveling all the time for hockey and whatnot. So I think that was kind of a lot of different factors that um, went into my decision. And I mean, it definitely wasn't an easy one, but it was something that I really pushed hard for. So um, it was definitely a dream of mine and my parents support me uh, tremendously. So that's kind of how we came to that decision to move out East.
0: You may be a little bit too close uh to the time in your life when you were doing it, but you mentioned that you played soccer. I've heard a lot of conversations about whether or not kids should be single sport focused or whether they should play multiple sports. You know, which is better um, for kids as as athletes, as people. Uh, you know, whatever. Any thoughts on uh, on whether or not figure skating, soccer, whatever other sports you may have played, did that help your your overall game?
3: Absolutely, I think that it helped me. Not only on the ice, but just as a as an athlete in general, um, helps prevent injuries, helps you see the ice better, see gives you different perspectives. Um, it also just brings you away from the game a little bit, which is important because when you get older, it is it becomes a lot. Like when you're in college, it's it becomes like a job. When you're at this level, it becomes almost like your job, which is great. But um, it's nice that you don't get burnt out when you're younger. And I loved playing other sports, so. I think it helped me tremendously growing up.
0: What position did you play when you played soccer?
3: I was a forward in soccer, um, surprisingly, which is weird.
0: Does the perspective of being on the attack in one sport and and being on the defense on the other, does that help translate? Did you pick up any sort of, you know, ability to read your opponent's body language or, or eyes or anything like that?
3: I think absolutely. I mean, soccer is definitely a game where you have to like read a lot of different situations. You have to read lanes, you have to read body language and stuff. So I think it definitely helped me in hockey.
0: There was a a number of different versions of the quote that I'm about to read to you. And I I picked this one just because I thought it was the simplest version of it. It's from your coach at uh, at, at Boston, uh, Katie Crowley. She's one of those kids that will do anything and everything to help her team win. And you can see that in her every shift. That's a that's a pretty glowing comment. And like I said, there were a number of different versions of that exact same comment from a bunch of different coaches and people that have seen you play over the years. Um, that work ethic, that uh, commitment to winning, whatever you want to call it, is that something that you felt was instilled in you pretty early or is that something that you had to learn?
3: I mean, I think it's definitely something that is grown over time but I I honestly think I was born with it um I kind of was born with this crazy kind I mean you talk to my parents you talk to my parents that you know I was born with this crazy kind of work ethic where I just wanted to be the best I wanted to win I wanted to just be at the top and I would do literally anything that I could in various aspects of my life like not just sports it just was kind of something that was a part of who I was from a very young age. So I think um, definitely it's grown over time, um, obviously with hockey and other things, but I think it was definitely something that I was born with. All
0: right. I'm going to use that answer to sort of transition (laughs) in a way that I wasn't anticipating. I read an interview that said you had gotten into painting during the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, Are you competitive about painting?
3: No, I don't. <laughs> okay. No, I I'm not competitive. I honestly, that is just something for me to kind of detach from everything. I don't even really show anyone those. Um, but I do love it. Like I'm not very good at it, but I try to be good at it. So maybe I'm competitive with myself about it.
0: We have a guest on uh, who comes on uh, a couple times a year. He's a he's a skills coach, and I, he's gone on to to coach at college. I'm blanking now on the college. I apologize, Pete. But um, Pete Russo. And we had a whole long conversation. Oh, gosh, I don't remember how deep into the once the pandemic had shut down all the leagues and everything. And I was asking him, what should athletes do to stay in shape when they're barred from access to facilities, you know, when they can't go and and get in their regular routines? And one of the things he said that caught me by surprise was don't like don't not don't stay in shape, but, you know, take the opportunity to be, you know, a different person than you have been. Right. And it sounds to me very much like you've been sort of working towards being Caleb Barnes, you know, Olympic defender for for years and years and years. Was there any part of you that that sort of did enjoy the opportunity to just take up painting, for example?
3: Absolutely. I think um, during the quarantine, that was one of the most um, like influential times, um, I think, for me. I think that I got to step away from the game, which it was a point in time um, mentally and physically where I really needed that. Um, You know, I, I just needed to reset. I needed to find different things that kind of made me love the game again. And it took a while, but like, luckily I had that time. Um, Just, you know, you've been doing, we've been doing this for so long. I do this every day. It's part of my everyday routine. I just think that it got kind of got to a point where I just needed to hit the reset button, like pause, reset Kind of refine why I love the game, and so I think that I think that was great advice, and I think a lot of athletes um, kind of found um, peace, like in that quarantine, um, just being able to find other things that kind of brought them joy.
0: One final follow-up on the painting question: uh, the interview I read also mentioned that elephants are your favorite animal. Yes. <laughs> How did that happen?
3: I I just think they're so cool. Like they are such cool creatures. They're massive and like everyone's afraid of them but they're the most loving animals ever and they just are like centered around family and you know their pack and they will do anything to protect each other and i just think it's they're really unique animals uh,
0: space yeah. and you know food budget notwithstanding would you own one as a pet
3: um i don't think so <laughs>
2: all right <laughs>
3: But I would, would love to see one in person, like one day. I there haven't I haven't yet.
0: <laughs> so let's talk about the Olympics. Um, we talked to Tony Granado recently, and he talked about looking down, you know, at his jersey when he's wearing it and seeing the letters USA and, and how it gave him a completely different perspective on, you know, being an American, being a hockey player, being a teammate, et cetera. What did it mean for you when you looked down and first saw that, that jersey? And how old were you the first time you wore a Team USA jersey?
3: um I was 15 I believe when I first wore USA jersey um for U18 um and I just think for me in that moment looking back now it was just like pure joy excitement um really honored to be a part of that team um it kind of is something that you have been working for for so long and like you finally achieved that and it's You know, when you make a U18 team, it's kind of the first step to the rest of your career. So it's kind of that was just an amazing feeling. And I know that I had worked um, so hard and so many people had contributed to my success. So, I mean, it's a testament to not only me, but, you know, kind of the team behind the team and everyone supporting me. So um, definitely a humbling experience.
0: I'm going to use the word kid, and I don't mean it to be uh, insulting, but kids to me your age. These days, it seems like always feel like oh, I'm in, I'm starting to you know eyeball my mid twenties. I'm so old. By no estimation, are you even remotely close to old? And yet, you are. Uh, I think you were the youngest player in the Olympics last time around, if I'm not mistaken. But now you are. You know, despite the fact that you're still very young, now you have some some serious experience wearing the Team USA jersey. Has your perspective on what it means to play changed? with that experience
3: um i think that my perspective has changed definitely like my approach to things kind of has changed just because with experience you just learn um a lot of different things that come with being on this team but the feeling has never changed um you know that excitement, that joy, the um, the honor it means to represent your country to pull on the USA jersey—it's an honor every day. So I think uh, perspective has changed, but the feeling has never, never gone away.
0: Were there any um, specific memories from the last games that that stand out to you, or, or that uh, hold a special place?
3: Um, besides winning, or including- <laughs> sure,
0: <laughs> including winning—that's fine. Um,
3: probably, I mean, obviously, winning was the best memory from the last games. I mean, just, um, you know, standing there singing the national anthem with medals around our neck, like that is just a, you know, your family's in the stands. My mom was crying. Um, I just think that was a feeling that like I can barely even describe, um, you know, everything you've ever worked for is kind of coming true. So, um, and just to, you know, be there with your teammates and, you know, there had been some of my teammates there that, hadn't won a gold medal before, have been to several Olympics and, you know, have kind of fallen short. So just to see them kind of keep going and finally get that um, was also an amazing feeling too. Um, You know, you become really close with each other throughout this year. So um, it was just a good moment to share with all of them.
0: How long have you guys been preparing for the upcoming games and, and how difficult has it been given that we're still essentially in the middle of this pandemic?
3: Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, there's this saying that, you know, the Olympics um isn't every four years, it's every day kind of thing. <laughs> um, like that. So that's kind of a motto that we have, you know, people ask like how long have you been training for this? It's like, well we've been training for this every day. Like this is the essential, the biggest goal that we have, um every day in the back of our minds. Yeah, there will be other tournaments that come before, you know, an Olympics or whatever the world championships we need to focus on. But at the end of the day, like our biggest goal, our biggest goal on this team is to win a gold medal at the Olympics. So, um, you know, every day, I mean, I think together, we've been together now for since October, maybe, um, every day we all moved to one place. We've all been, um, together training, playing, but like I said, it's been a lot longer than since October.
0: I don't want to oversimplify it, but does it really come down to USA versus Canada at some level?
3: Um, You know, I think that that's definitely an opponent that we are um, always that always is always on our mind. But, you know, any opponent can really bring anything to the table. Um, I think with the nature of women's hockey growing so drastically, I think there's a lot of really great players. And, you know, anyone can throw anything at you at any time. So um, we don't really want to take any team for, for granted.
0: That's a a very diplomatic answer. I appreciate it. In a tournament like the Olympics, you know, it's very short. And then you move to, you know, single elimination medal rounds. Matchups, I would imagine, play a huge role. How much pre-scouting and and video work are you guys doing on the potential opponents? Um, You know, when does that start being worked into the plan?
3: Yeah, I I think we take it one game at a time. So whoever our opponent is, we definitely have video. Um, We have scouting reports up. Um, we have scattering reports on each player, um, kind of thing. So, definitely preparing a lot for each game, but not looking forward to um, games ahead, kind of thing. Uh, we focus on the game at, at hand, deal with that game, and then we move forward. So, um, you know, I think our first game is against Finland at at the Olympics. So that will be the first team we focus on. We'll do video, scattering reports, all that, and then uh, kind of move forward from there.
0: I feel like I should have asked this earlier, but where is your gold medal?
3: My gold medal is at my parents' house somewhere. (laughs) Not sure. Honestly, not sure where. I think, um, since I'm not home a ton, I think my parents keep it in their room. Um, but I couldn't, I could be wrong. It's not like
0: framed, you know, in a place of honor or on the mantle or something?
3: No, it is. It's not out, you know, just in case, like, I don't know, something were to ever happen. Um they do my parents did buy like a replica one that's framed with my jersey but um the real one is hidden away somewhere but I'm honestly not sure where
0: I was just gonna ask if you had four replicas made and sent to your brothers you know yeah. Ingrid in, <laughs> and sent like the worst hockey player in the world or
3: something <laughs> like that I should that's a great <laughs>
0: there you I, go <laughs> <laughs> um, so after the I know it's uh you know looking way far ahead but um any plans uh, any immediate plans for after the Olympics? You know, what's the next step in your career?
1: Um,
3: after, in regards to playing, I uh, am going to go back to Boston College. I haven't graduated yet, so I'm going to go back, and I have two years of eligibility, so I'll play there, finish out my college career, which would be awesome. Um, but so those are my immediate plans for hockey, kind of following um, following the Olympics.
0: And will you keep painting?
3: Of course,
0: right. <laughs> when I have time.
3: I haven't done it in a while, but it's more so when I'm just like, I'm kind of bored and want to do something different. Uh, that's what I do.
0: We really appreciate you joining us. And obviously we wish you the best of luck and hope that you bring home a second gold medal to be lost at your parents' house.
3: <laughs> Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thanks again to Kayla Barnes for joining me. We'll be tracking her progress with Team USA at the Olympics, just like we track the numbers here at All the King's Men, thanks to Route.com. Now you can't actually use route.com to track hockey statistics, but you can use them to track your packages. Bad calls, dirty slashing, we expect a little bull on the ice, but you know when we can't stand it? When we're tracking packages. Looking up tracking numbers, shipping statuses that never get updated, we call bullshit. So we got Route. It's the free app that tracks everything you order online in one place. Route sends us real-time tracking updates, or we can pop into the app to see where our stuff is on an actual map. Download the Route app in the App Store or Google Play, or head to route.com to learn more. No bullshit, just great tracking. We are back to track the numbers thanks to Route.com, and this one's going to be a little bit less uh, of a deep dive than the last one was with uh, Adrian Kempe and his shooting percentage. Because this one is just going to sort of build to a stat that I thought was fascinating or a little bit interesting. And we're going to take a look at time on ice because there's been a lot of conversation about Quentin Byfield perhaps being uh, recalled sometime soon. And obviously there's constantly players going on and off the COVID protocol list. The latest, of course, being Adrian Kempe. Um, So I decided to take a look. Hold on. Let me get my glasses on here so I can actually take a look. I decided to take a look. At who's playing with who and what the line combinations actually are. Because there's been a lot of talk, a lot of it coming from me, about the fact that we don't really know what the Kings third line might look like. And so I started looking into it and I realized, okay, Rasmus Kupari has essentially been the third line center most of the season. He's played a little bit at wing here and there. But uh, a bulk of the season has been played at, center. And uh, just to give you uh, an idea of what I'm talking about, if you look at all the lines um, and how many minutes they've played uh, consistently as pairings, you get Kopitar and, uh, and Deneau and Lazat down the down the middle pretty consistently. And then uh, Kupari starts to show up, whether it's with Trevor Moore and Carl Grunström or Arthur Kaliev, um, although most of the time it's with Grundstrom and Moore. So that's where we're going to start, is looking at who Rasmus Kupari has been playing with. Now, about a quarter of the time he's on the ice at even strength this year, about 85 minutes. He's been paired with Moore and Grunstrom. Obviously Moore has been bumped up to that second line. Grunstrom currently, at least at the timing of this recording, um, is on the COVID-19 list still. I'm assuming that will come to an end very shortly. But those two wingers uh, have not been available to him in the last stretch of games. He's been playing with uh, Turcott and Brown amongst other players. of the time he's on the ice is with Moore and Kaliev, so there's Moore's name again. And another 8% with Moore and Leish Anderson. Then just following up on that 26 minutes, he's playing with Brown and Turcotte, so that's the fourth most common line mates Kupari's had. And then right behind that, Andreas Athanasiu, who also has been unavailable for uh, long stretches this season. So the idea there is just that Rasmus Kupari has been a mainstay at third line center, which is given where the Kings are in the standings, seven, second place, which I think they're guaranteed to be in at least until Wednesday, uh, which is the next time the ducks play. And if they can pick up, pick up a point or two against San Jose, um, that bumps them even higher up the standings, obviously. But the point is with them in second place, Kupari, the mainstay on the third line, that, that is, was unexpected and, uh and surprising to me next. Obviously we have Deneau centering the uh the second line and Deneau has basically played most of his minutes with four different wingers Kempe, Arvidsson, Ayafalo and now Moore now Moore has been on Deneau's wing for about 105 minutes right now give or take um he's played the bulk of his minutes with Ayafalo 358 although obviously Ayafalo currently is on the top line with uh Kopitar then Victor Arvidsson 221 minutes and Adrian Kempe Spent 128 minutes there earlier this season. Those are your four uh, second-line wingers. And that brings us to Andrzej Kopitar, obviously the Kings' top center. He's played 357 minutes with Adrian Kempe. That'll come to an end here. Uh, 350 minutes with Dustin Brown. 181 minutes with Victor Arvidson. And 121 minutes with Alex Follow. I expect that number to increase over the next few games, especially with uh, Adrian Kempe going on COVID protocol, but those are your sort of five top six wingers: Kempe, Brown, Arvidson, follow, and now recently more added to that second line. Your centers are Kopitar, Dano, and Kupari. That that's your top nine. I mean, it's it's shocking to me. You know, a lot of talk recently about the fact that uh, heading into the season. The assumed third line was going to be Gabriel Velardi, Leish Anderson, and Vladimir Kachev. Um, I think the three of them combined have played 24 games out of a possible 115, 113, something like that. I can't remember the exact number off the top of my head, but it's, uh, you know, a, a very small percentage of the uh, amount of games that they could have played. Meanwhile, again, Kupari, Turcotte, and Brown are, are holding down that line. Now we'll see with Kempe going to uh, COVID protocol what that does. The reason I'm bringing all this up and setting it up the way I have, um, as I said, this, this week tracking the numbers is going to be much shorter and less in-depth than last week's one was. But this is what I really wanted to get at. This is the top five most common forward combinations for the Kings this season. Number five. Playing 97 minutes and 21 seconds together. Deneau, Kempe, and Ayafalo. Six goals for, four goals against, plus two. Um, Carrying play, 62%, Corsi four. That's just shot attempts. Um, That's your fifth most common combination of forwards. At fourth, playing 113 minutes together. uh, 113 and change. Uh, Brown, Kopitar, and Arvidsson. That was a line earlier this season. Four goals for three goals assist plus one carrying play again. Corsi and shots for uh, above 50 percent. Third most at also about 113 minutes Deno know Arvidson and I follow. So there you have Arvidson showing up on two of the most common line combinations. Uh, seven goals for two goals against plus five. Again, carrying shots and Corsi for percentage at about 60 percent in both. Second most common combination, Dustin Brown, Andrzej Kopitar, and Adrian Kempe playing about 171 minutes together. Seven goals, for, five goals against, mind, or plus two, excuse me. Shots and Corsi four, both 53%. And then this, <clears throat> this is what this whole thing is about, is building to this fact, which I just thought was sort of interesting. Uh, The most common combination of three players. Now, that is not to say that these three guys play the most minutes. They do not. In fact, they frequently play the fewest amount of minutes. But the three of them are the most frequently used combination of three players on the LA Kings. And by now, I suspect you know where I'm going with this. Brandon Lemieux, Blake Lazad, and Arthur Kaliev. (laughs) 173 minutes. Now, it's only tops because those wingers have shuffled around the top two lines. You know, all of those guys that I mentioned have played more minutes than Lemieux, Lazat, and Kaliev. But Lemieux, Lazat, and Kaliev, as a combination, have played two more minutes than uh, Kobitar and Dino. Sorry, Kobitar, Kempe, and Brown, and about 60 more minutes than Dano, Arvidsson, and I follow. That line, that fourth line, Lemieux, Lazat, and Kaliev, 10 goals for, four against, plus six. Shots four percentage 58.6 Corsi four percentage 56.7 and if you look at their expected goals, um, it just gets I mean, it just it just gets better. Uh, their uh, expected goals 57.5 percent, expected goals four per 60 3.05, expected goals against per 60 minutes 2.25, which is uh better than Kempe, Kopitar, and Brown. Better than to know and Kempe, and uh, about consistent with uh, Arvidsson, Denoe, and Aiafalo. So there you have it. That fourth line um, playing consistently, not only in effort, not only in production, but also just as a unit. Um, they have been out there uh, for a ton of minutes. Lazat has played 228 minutes with Brendan Lemieux, 206 minutes with Arthur Kaliev. Um, meanwhile, Kopitar and Kempe are the pair that have gotten... Uh, excuse me, I take that back. deno and I have follow are the most common pair. 358 minutes together, followed very closely by Kopitar and Kempe, 357. Kopitar and Brown, 350. Deneau and Arvidson, 221. Kopitar and Arvidson, 181. You get the idea. There's guys that have played a lot of minutes together. Rasmus Kupari and Trevor Moore, 201 minutes together. So, a lot of consistent pairs. A lot of... Um, Consistent, I don't want to say placement on a line, but but top six, bottom six. Trevor Moore's the, the guy that's sort of made the leap. Um, and we hope to see him continue scoring the way he has. But that fourth line, man, they uh they don't appear to be going anywhere. I'd be very curious to see if they're willing to break up those three guys with Kempe out, um, perhaps give Kalyev a chance to play in the top six. Maybe move Kaliev up to the third line, move somebody from maybe move Brown back to the top line. All of this is going to be changing by the time you hear this, because obviously there's a game at one o'clock on Monday. They play Tuesday and Thursday. So all of this could change. But 38 games into the season, there you have it. The most frequent line used by the LA Kings, the most consistent line, 9% of even strength minutes. Um Lemieux, Lazat, and Kaliev. So there you have it. This has been Tracking Numbers. Thanks to Route.com. Huge thanks again to Kayla Barnes and the guys from the Bannerman Vardy and Caro, for joining me for King of the Week earlier. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. We hope you subscribe if you're not already. We hope you rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere that rating and reviewing podcasts is an option. We hope, obviously, that the keeps King winning. We hope that you keep enjoying it, and we hope that you join us next time. Thanks for listening, King's fans. We'll talk to you soon.